It's so funny because in the personal finance space, some people say like, how come no one teaches this stuff? And other people say, what do you mean? Live on less than you make? That's pretty obvious. But it's not that. It just, it goes so much deeper into realizing when we have unmet needs or if we're, you know, spending money to solve some other problem or placate other needs. It's really no different than people are drinking to feel better or it's just shopping is another vice sometimes that just makes us feel better. It's literally science says you get that dopamine rush, right? Welcome to another episode of the Ageless Conversations podcast. I'm Tamika from TamikaMcTeer.com. If you are new to the podcast, here's what you need to know. We are a community that believes that there is no age that defines the life of every woman. So every week you'll hear a conversation that I know will inspire you to change your mindset, gain confidence, and live a lifestyle thriving, not determined by age. Hello there, and I am back today with a brand new episode for you all. Joining us today on the podcast, we have Terry Slater. Terry is a personal finance coach that has a business degree with an emphasis in finance. She learned quickly that getting a finance degree doesn't make you a great investor or saver. From a relatively early stage, Terry had already racked up student loan debt, a car loan, and credit card debt. She poured herself out of debt and felt accomplished, but after she got married and bought her first house, she found herself back in $200,000 of debt. She says that you can learn to have a greater awareness of your money mindset and become more intentional with your money ultimately gaining clarity and confidence on your financial journey. Terry, welcome to the Ageless Conversations podcast. Thank you so much, Tamika. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and you guys don't know this, but maybe you'll go and look Terry up online, but I'm telling you, if you go and look at her, she is such a cutie. Pretty smile, beautiful eyes. I love the way she wears her hair. She has like this really cute salt and pepper hair and then her <laughs> eyes just pop. Super cute. Every single time I talk to her from the very, very first time I met her, I complimented her on that. Oh, you are so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> and Terry, before we kick off this conversation today for our listeners, I'd love for you to share with our audience just a fun fact, maybe something that they didn't learn about you in your bio, but will be shocked to hear you discuss or just a fun fact about you. Oh, that's fun. Okay. Yeah. I have a few and I've got, I've actually got them all listed on my website, but I would say a fun fact that most people do not know about me is that I can talk like Donald Duck. And I will say that I went to Disneyland for the first time when I was like 44 years old. And when the characters come out, they actually don't speak, right? They just, they're speakless characters. And so I went, I found Donald Duck and I was like, oh my gosh, I absolutely have to do this voice for him or her. I don't even know who it was, but when I did it, they were elated. They were like, oh my, like the little photographer guy said, that's the best impression we've ever heard. And I was like, yay. I'm so excited. Yeah. And for you guys that are listening, when I met Terry, that was one of the ways that she introduced herself. And of course, like I said, I'm looking at this lady and she looks a beautiful woman. And then she popped out that voice. I fell out laughing. You guys have heard me say before, I'm pretty goofy. And if it's funny, I fall out on the spot when I should be laughing. And when I shouldn't be laughing, I laugh. But we share laughing together on that. Terry, why don't you go ahead and give him a hint of that voice? Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that I want to go oh, on with it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> we won't be able to get this recording going. <laughs> oh my gosh. How did you find that discovery about yourself though? 
Oh my goodness. I actually just looked this up not that long ago because I was trying to explain for somebody. I was watching an old Chevy Chase movie when I was like eight years old. And I'm sure this was a hugely inappropriate movie for me to be watching at eight years old. I can't remember. It's, I think it's called like Modern Times or something like that. Anyway, in the movie, he does some drugs and then he's like floating on a bed and he starts talking like Donald Duck. And when I was watching the movie, I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. Ever. And so I started trying to learn how to talk like a duck. And I just like just coached myself through it for a solid year. And I just practiced so much that I got really good at it. So I don't know why it was just a part of this movie. And it just struck me as just hilarious. Oh my gosh, such a good impression. <laughs> All right, Terry, we're going to go ahead and dive into the real conversation that you're here for to discuss today on the podcast. And All so right. I know that you have a background in finance or that's one of your area of focuses. That's one of the things when you and I had a chance to meet and I learned just a little bit more about your background that I was impressed with just what you do with finance, but how your own personal story started you on that journey. So if you could, I'd love for you to kick us off and share with the listeners just a little bit more about Terry and your story. Yeah, absolutely. When I was a young adult, I made all of the financial mistakes possible. I was really heavily in debt by the time I was, oh gosh, 19, 20 years old. I had already taken out student loans and open credit cards and things like that. And I just, I didn't really have, my parents didn't really teach me much about money at all. So I didn't have any good messages about money nor any bad messages about money. I just was uninformed. And so I really learned early on, I want to help other people with this. Once I started learning just money management basics. And so I, I got out of debt, but then after I got married and had kids and then we're buying the house and then all these things, like we totally went into debt again. And we really just lived using credit cards or any like home equity line of credit. All that stuff was just like an extension of our income. So as our incomes were increasing, so was our lifestyle spending. And we did eventually get to a point where our income weren't increasing anymore. And we had both made some job decisions to change and make less money in order to seek out happiness. And, and it didn't go well because the bills were still there and mm -hmm. so much debt. And so I was about 35 years old when I had to call my parents and ask them for money to cover a mortgage payment. And that was just really humiliating for me. And I said, I don't know when I can pay you back. It's probably not going to be soon. I'll pay you back as soon as I can. And a year later, I still hadn't been able to pay them back. I ended up taking a second job overnight. So mind you, I had already gotten a finance degree. I was already working as a financial counselor and helping other people with their money but I hadn't addressed like all of my own behaviors mm -hmm. around money as well. I took that second job and it was very stressful. And my, my husband was a great financial provider, but not the best partner in parenting in the relationship. And I would leave that overnight bakery job at 7am and I'd come home and get the kids off to school. And I would go to my day job and I would sleep under my desk until wow. my first clients arrived. And that point in time was so stressful for me. That was when I just marked a decision that was a stake in the ground that was like, I cannot do this anymore. And that really started to shift my mindset around looking at the numbers, looking at how much we were spending, looking at how we were going to get out of debt. And so it took six years, but we paid off over $200,000 in debt. And eventually the marriage did end shortly after we paid off the debt. So real glad we paid off the debt together because <laughs> yeah. it sets you up a little bit better. It makes the divorce 
course, less sticky. So yeah, and now I'm just really pleased to say that it's been, gosh, it's been four or five years now, and I'm still debt-free, and I'm still single, and now I've got money invested, and I feel super confident about my financial future. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. And so you said so much that I definitely want to go back and unpack for our listeners. Really start all the way at the beginning when you think about your college years and just your journey starting out there. And you talked about racking up the student loans. For you, when you approached the student loans or took those out, was it from a place of because you thought that was the only way that you could play, you could pay for your college education? Or did you see it as something like were those that you were surrounded with, maybe friends and things like that? You saw them taking out the loans, and so you decided to take out the loans. I know that everybody's reason for getting uh, applying for a student loan is different. I also yeah. know people that have had the opportunity to go to college for free, meaning because their parents paid for it or they were there on scholarship, and unfortunately, they still walk away from college with some type of a debt. They didn't have to have it. It was more, for lack of a better term, I'll say greed. Just oh, yeah. identifying it from a standpoint of free money mm-hmm. when really it's not free. Yeah. But that's how it's perceived and that's how they take it at that point in time. What was it like for you? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I've never been asked this before. This is so good. There was just such a lack of like really deep conversations in my home growing up. So neither of my parents went to college. My my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked to support us. And so they didn't really have conversations with me like talking about options or what are you going to study and how much do you think that will pay you in the long run and all those kind of things. We just never had those conversations. I chose to go out of state to a school, which that immediately tax on additional cost just because you're going out of mm-hmm. state. And back in, in that time, I remember this, it was 1993, but it was $13,000 a year to go out of state, which was crazy expensive. And I asked my dad one day, I said, I was filling out the loan paperwork and I said, how much should I ask for? Or he said, how much are you planning on asking for? I said, I guess that depends on how much you guys are going to give me. And he and he coughed. I was like, oh, okay. But I have two older siblings and they didn't, my brother went to college for a year or so. Neither of them graduated from college. So I was the first to graduate from college. And yeah, for me, it was really like, this is the only way that it's going to happen. So I unfortunately just, I wasn't intentional about anything. Yeah in my young life at all. Really, if I'm being honest, I haven't been intentional about the way I move through life, especially with my money until really late in life. So yeah, for me, it was really just like the only way that I knew how to get that degree. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing I heard you mention is then you ended up getting married at some point and through the marriage, you guys started to rack up this debt, but you started to do it in a way for things that felt like it made you happy. Yeah. Air quotes happy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit more about that because my guest tells me that there's going to be somebody that's listening and they may find themselves in a marital situation or even in a dating situation at this point before marriage and they're doing all of these things for what they consider to be this happy state as it relates to finances, but not really looking at the big impact of what Mm. really doing to their household. Yeah, for sure. So I would say, let me say this. So once I had gotten out of debt the first time, we were in, we were young, we were, we didn't have any kids yet. And we were, we had just gotten married. We were saving money and we were thinking about, we want to buy a house someday. We should have some money saved and et cetera. And so at that point we were doing all the right things. But then after we bought the house, 
I can remember we bought a home that was really, it was only like one year old, but it had been a foreclosure. So the previous Mm -hmm. owners really never did any work to it. And it was a new build. So no yard or anything. And I thought, we're going to have to do some work to this place. And we didn't quite have a lot of excess cash flow to, to do that with. So I called like a hardware store, like a Home Depot type store, I called and applied for a credit card and I got approved. And I remember them telling me, you've got an $8,000 line of credit. And I was giddy with excitement. Like I ran into the backyard and told him, I got another credit card. And I was so excited. That to me should have been an indication (laughs) that there was something a little deeper there that maybe I was having some unmet needs. And so, yeah, we got a home equity line of credit because it was a foreclosure and we just used that money for everything, for vacations, for buying a home furnishings, like everything that we got was on credit. And it was just one of those things where like our life was so, we were already like stretched. And so we both worked a lot and we started having kids and he still worked a lot. And I was trying to balance like, how do I be an attentive mother and a working mother? That was hard. And so then I just started spending money on experiences and, oh, Camping is neat, but it's also hard when you have kids. So let's get a camper. Mm. Just all these things. It was just like excess everywhere you look. Yeah. So there there was a lot of challenge there. But I think one of the keys to really understand is that, like I said, I came from a family of five. I'm the youngest and I got a lot of hand-me-downs. I didn't really have a lot of nice stuff. I didn't we weren't really lacking, but I didn't have a lot of nice stuff. And so then once I started making good money, like better than what I was used to in my growing up, I wanted better things for myself. And I wanted my kids to have good things. And kind of the same with my ex-husband, like he also was the youngest of three. His upbringing was a little different, but we bring those things with us into our adult life and with money in ways that we haven't really ever sat and thought about. Like, why is it that I'm craving these things? And you just sometimes don't even think about that. So the fact that we weren't intentional, we didn't have a lot of good, deep conversations about our money. It just really led to a big snowballing debt problem. Yeah. Thanks for diving into just a little bit about just being what position you were as a child and getting mm-hmm. hand-me-downs. And although you didn't come from a place of lack, that you didn't have a lot of what would be considered new or the nice things. Yeah. And so as you continue to go along your journey, what were some of the other diagnoses of you around the behavioral issues that you had with the debt? Even when I just heard you speaking of the $8,000 and you said you should have known then that it was something else <laughs> that you were seeking because of the excitement that you had around that approval. Yeah, absolutely. I think it really just came down for me to really, I guess I would say, never really having given a lot of forethought around living within your means. It's so funny because in the personal finance space, some people say like, how come no one teaches this stuff? And other people say, what do you mean? Live on less than you make? That's pretty obvious. But it's not that. It just, it goes so much deeper into realizing when we have unmet needs or if we're, you know, spending money to solve some other problem or placate other needs. It's really no different than people are drinking to feel better or it's just shopping is another vice sometimes that just makes us feel better. It's literally science says you get that dopamine rush, right? Yeah. So there's all that too. But I will also say about myself, when I was young, like 20s, and I was first starting to get jobs where I was being offered retirement programs, health insurance benefits, and things like that, 
It was just so far off for me that I was uninterested, really uninterested. And I do think that's something that a lot of, I think a lot of people can relate to that, right? When it's really far away, it just feels, you know, saved for what? And so you've got to have something that is greater than you that gives you that, that vision and that desire to want to do better for your future self. And I just, I think that neither one of us really had that. And I'll say this too, I haven't really spoken openly about this before, but another interesting part of our divorce, I said it was very easy. It was cut and dry, straightforward. There were no, there was no debt to split up, but there was also like no assets to split up. And mind you, I said this was only about three years ago that we divorced. We both were just so far behind the eight ball as far as planning for our future. So yeah, I feel like it's never too late. Yeah. It's never too late to start. And I think that as long as you start thinking about it intentionally, you can still make progress that will set you up better for if you just ignore it. Yeah, I love that. And that's definitely great advice. You also talked about earlier in our conversation, you also mentioned how you had to ask your parents for mortgage payment that she still hadn't had a chance to pay them back for. And was that during the marriage as well? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, that was 2010. I think it was. Yeah. So about 12 years ago. And it was during that time that I, like I said, I was working as a financial counselor. I was at a nonprofit, so it wasn't a very high paying job at all. And my ex had left his career to start his own self-employment gig. And so there was just a lot going on there where we both like I was the happiest I had been as far as the work that I was doing every day, loved it, but I wasn't highly compensated. He was pretty highly compensated, but definitely didn't have money management as a skill. And so the dynamics between the two of us were not super healthy either, because I know that he wanted me to be more active in the business. I was like, I can't do that. Like I'm already over here with a job and trying to take care of these kids too. And there was just a lot about our dynamic that was also challenging there as well. Yeah. And so you've gotten out of that. What has been, you feel like your number one factor for staying, for getting out and staying out at this point? Yeah. It's really twofold. Number one was, it was a long haul. Six years to pay off that much debt is a long time to stick with it. I really did get into making sure that I was planning every single, how much, because we still wanted to have a little bit of a life, right? You can't just nose to the grindstone for that long or else you're just kind of resentful. We did work a lot. We did bring in a lot of money and it all went out to payments, but we also just had to say, okay, so the things that we do still want to do for a little bit of fun, like how much should we allocate to that? So we just really started to like dial back the unnecessary spending, but the lifestyle spending, we had to dial it back and just watched. And we really did do the traditional like snowball method of of paying off our debts. So watching it happen is very motivating. Is that what helped you keep your momentum along the journey? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we got to the end, it was hard because our last two debts were his truck and one of my credit cards, and they were both like over $20,000. So we had paid off like all these tiny little debts. But then when you get to the end and you've only got two debts left, but each one of them is 20 grand, it's still, oh, it's going to take a while to do this. We built in little rewards for ourselves or little outings, little things that were still enjoyable, but just stayed the course there too. So super intentional and looking at the numbers and being really intimate with the numbers and knowing how can we stay the course? Because again, if you just work, work, work and put everything towards it, like Sometimes then other issues start to crop up too. 
Yeah. And was your husband pretty receptive? Did you go to him and say, hey, we need to come up with a plan to tackle this debt? Or did he come to you? Was it like a mutual agreement? Yeah, great question. I initiated. Again, our communication wasn't the most healthy. And I really felt like a lot of the messages weren't well received from me. And so I had a coworker that actually recommended Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And I was like, okay, all right, I'm signing us up. And that is what we are going to do because I needed him to hear all those messages from someone else. Sure. Someone that wasn't me. And so, yeah, that was enough to get get us on the right track. But I can remember at one point, (laughs) I remember sitting down with him and I just said, I'm trying to do this budget thing and I'm trying to rein us in. But I just, I feel like you're over here doing your thing. And he was very agreeable. Just tell me what you need and I'll do it. But he wasn't really bought into it. And he said, I don't really care what you do with the budget. Uh Like you've got it under control. And that's hard because even as the numbers person, you still, a lot of people are like, great, give me all the control. That's fine. But not for me. For me, I felt like I I really want to feel like you're invested in this and interested in this also. And so that was a little bit challenging. So the, all this to say, there's a lot of indicators here that we were just not completely aligned anyway. Uh, did, Terry, did you ever feel yourself wanting to go into a revenge spending space? Oh, 100%. And if so, what did you do to refrain from moving in that direction? Oh, yeah. So I'll explain revenge spending because I know that it can be thought of in a couple different ways. But for me, the way that looked was he made double what I made. His contribution was higher, but then his spending was also higher. And what what some of the things were that he spent his kind of like fun money on, to me, they felt, number one, it felt like a lot of money going out for those things. And also, they were also things that generally further took him away from the home, Mm. feeding his own hobbies. And for me, that was just like a little extra salt on the wound there. And so what ended up happening is, although I would consider myself, I don't use frugal, but I don't spend very much. I'm not very spendy, but I ended up starting to spend more and more money. If he's going to do it, then I'm going to do it. Okay. Yeah. And that didn't last long, mostly because I didn't want to see the money disappearing. I wanted to see the progress more than I wanted to buy these things. More than being the two can play that game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when the work that you do, Terry, when you are working with individuals, what do you see as the biggest challenge when they come to you? Oh, the first thing is generally not even having looked at the numbers and not really knowing exactly what's happening. Most of my clients are are not struggling to pay their bills. They're making enough money, but that sometimes means that you don't pay as much attention. So, you know, when you're not making sure that you have enough to go get gas or go buy groceries, there's more than enough in the account, then that's when things get a little bit lax. So I would say the first thing that I'm always talking to people about is just really, we need to take inventory of what's happening right now. You don't want to wait for the other shoe to drop before you have that moment that's, oh crap, I haven't set myself up to be ready for this. People get laid off from their jobs or furloughed. They're making great income and they have a great stable job. If you're in government and you get furloughed for a couple months, if that causes like extreme stress, then yeah, that you don't want to wait for that moment to happen. So you'd really want to be paying attention up front. Yeah, not knowing the numbers is usually first. And then second is just like making sure that 
they understand and that we all understand together, you get to make the decisions about what you're doing with your money. But if you want one thing, you you can't keep doing what you've been doing and expect to see a difference. So usually something has to change. I'll let them be in control of what that change is. It's not up to me to say what their priorities are, but yeah. I do just want to highlight, you know, what the opportunity costs are if you keep doing the other things too. Yeah. Do you find it that people are receptive to getting more in alignment with their spending as it relates to like their values? Maybe they there's something off there and then they switch it after working with you? Yeah, for sure. I had one client and we had such a great conversation. She had gone on vacation and ended up spending more money going out with her nieces and nephews than she wanted to. And so when she came back, she was telling me about that and was her language. She was really beating herself up about that and saying, oh man, I really didn't mean to spend that much money. And I said, okay, but let's reframe. If you take this exact same vacation again next year... Do you want to adjust how much you spend or do you want to adjust your expectations? And just thinking about that, she was like, yeah, I actually would adjust my expectations because it was so fun. We enjoyed that time together. And yeah, I think sometimes we feel like we should be doing certain things a certain way. And it's, I don't know, you have to really reflect on your own values and what's most important to you. Because what's important to me is not the most important to everybody else. Has to make that decision themselves. Yeah, I love that. And I heard you talk a lot about your children and just going through this journey with them. As a mom of two, what's something you hope that your kids can look at your relationship, your spending and learn from? Yeah, that's a great question. I really just hope that if nothing else, they, number one, I would love it for them to set themselves up for their future much earlier than I did. But also just like being aware of being intentional about where you are spending. I think that it's my children, I witnessed this in both of them, and I have mentioned it, but they both have a very similar trait that I know that I had, especially when I was a young adult. I still have it a little bit now. I absolutely love being able to treat other people, oh. right? So I know that like way long ago in college, like when I had all, I was rich with student loan money, right? So I, all the time I was like, I got pizzas tonight and I ended up buying all the time and I see them both do that too. And it's especially with going out to eat. I see them buying food for other people all the time when I'm like, yeah, you don't have to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So can I tell you something so funny? So my daughter, she's generous, but my son is on a whole nother level with it. So when you were just saying that, it instantly made me think of my son. But yeah, that's funny that I heard that, that you said that. Yeah. And it, what's really interesting is, and I won't get into this really right now, but there's actually so much psychology that you can look into about that, right? So is it just that it's generosity or sometimes is it like, well, that's my way of gaining acceptance? Yeah. I'm like, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's really, it's, there's a lot to unpack with a lot of our actions around money. It does require a lot of unpacking sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Terry, before I let you go, I'm just going to ask you four short questions. There's no right or wrong answer. You just respond with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The first one is describe age in four words or less. Just a calendar number. Ah, that's a good one. I haven't heard that here before. I like it. This one is a fill in the blank for you. My name is, and age has taught me. Ooh, okay. My name is Terry and age has taught me that as you learn and grow, do your best to share that knowledge with others. 
Okay. Are you asked for permission or asked for forgiveness? I'm a rule follower, so I'm asked for permission. <laughs> All right. And are you comfortable with silences or nonstop conversation? Definitely silence. Definitely silence, huh? Yes. I live most of my life in silence. Like when I'm in the car, there's no music on. Yeah. When I'm at home working, I just, it's, I'm in silence more often than not. Whenever I get around people whose families, like when their families get together and everyone in the room is talking at the same time, I just feel very overwhelmed by that. I'm good with (laughs) comfortable silence. Okay. And so what final words do you have for our listeners? And please let them know where they can connect with you after this podcast. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Final words. I guess I would just say that when thinking about money, there's really so much more to it than just the dollars and cents, right? So if you are feeling like you want some change, there's a lot of resources out there and available. I'd like to think that I'm one of them as well. But I think that there's a lot of additional work that we can do to make sure that we're basically looking at all of ourselves and how that causes us to relate with money. And yeah, if you want to learn more about me, I do have an upcoming group coaching program that's going to be launching at the beginning of the new year. And so you can find out more about that or Find me on all the socials, terryslater.com. My website has the links to all of my social platforms as well. All right, Terry, thank you so much for being a guest here today. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Yes, same here. Thank you so much, Tamika. Thank you for listening to the Ageless Conversations podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. Your review really does help others find out about the podcast. As always, you can head over to my website now at TamikaMixier.com to sign up for my email list, as well as check out the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode. Talk to you all next week.